name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. As I suppose is not a surprise, among the disciples of John the Baptist were many of the faithful of Israel, those who earnestly and in the righteousness of faith waited for the coming of the Messiah, gathered around the forerunner and his teaching, not just coming to the bank of the Jordan to be baptized and then going back to their daily lives, but staying to hear the Baptists preaching and teaching. Now, of course, as is so often the case, some clung to the messenger rather than the message. There were those who took offense at Jesus' rising prominence. They were jealous for John's sake. We encounter those disciples of John who in the Gospels are jealous and offended that Jesus' disciples began to baptize. And those in the book of Acts who still clung to the baptism of John even after John's death and the resurrection of Christ. There are even indeed today a small number to be sure, maybe about 100,000 believers, who still consider themselves to be followers of John the Baptist. They are the Mandeans. May we never lose sight of the greater for the lesser. But as the gospel of St. John the Apostle says about St. John the Baptist, he was a man sent from God. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. And that is exactly what John the Baptist did with forerunner zeal. When Jesus appeared on Jordan's banks with both his finger and his voice, he proclaimed, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. Again John testified, For this purpose I came to baptize with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And again, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. While some continued to cling to John, others among his disciples picked up what he was laying down, one of whom was Philip. So when the Lord came to him that next day following his baptism and said, Follow me, he did not hesitate to drop everything except in this, to go and find Nathanael, another among John's disciples who eagerly awaited in expectation of the Messiah. The gift, the treasure, the promise of God fulfilled had come and sought him out. Now he had seen and beheld the hope of Israel and has been called to his side. So Philip immediately goes to find Nathanael to teach, to tell him the gospel, to preach to him the good news. Perhaps Nathanael had not been by the Jordan that day before, but when Philip comes to tell him about Jesus of Nazareth, that this is whom the prophets foretold and this is whom the patriarchs longed to see, 
Nathaniel responds a little, with a little bit of lip. Philip says to Nathaniel, we have found him. And hear the joy in that. We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph, the one to whom all the scriptures testify, whom we have sought, in whom is the salvation of Israel. But that last little bit catches in Nathanael's ear. Jesus of the Nazareth? And so Nathanael says to Philip, Really? From Nazareth? Can anything come, good come out of Nazareth? We hear from Nathanael some skepticism. Now, Nathanael's skepticism is not born of pride, as if he were some socialite living in New York or Hollywood, looking down his nose at those small-town rednecks in Nazareth. He himself hails from Cana, not too far away and not too distant or different from Nazareth. Both small Jewish towns, far from the temple and far from Jerusalem, surrounded by Gentile settlers, no great historic significance. Not the sort of place anyone important would go, not even for a visit. And certainly not where someone important would come from. To Nathaniel, Philip's invitation would sound something like if I were to say to you, Come and meet Elon of Van Wert, the richest man in the world. No, it is not a skepticism born out of pride, but the very same sort of scandal as the scandal of the incarnation itself, that the Word came in human flesh. Could the Messiah really be a man like me? Is the prophet greater than Moses, the king in David's line and his greater son, from Nazareth? Certainly not. Not from Nazareth, not from Cana. He could not be a man like me. But despite his skepticism, the Holy Spirit was at work in the heart of Nathanael. Through the preaching of John, through the testimony of the Holy Scriptures, and through the word of Philip. And so Philip says, come and see. And Nathanael comes and he sees. And this is something always to keep in mind when we are debating or thinking about whether or not we are going to invite someone to come and see Jesus. You do not know in what way the Spirit of the Lord is working in their hearts, preparing them for the planting of the seed of the gospel. He works where and when he wills according to his good pleasure, unseen by human eyes through the means of grace. Even if you tell them about Jesus and they initially reject it, if there is some obstacle that they have built up in their heart against the gospel, like that in Nathaniel's, the Spirit, he has the power to overcome it. So give the invitation, for you have found him whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Do not keep it to yourself, but bid, come and see. And we see that by the grace of God and the work of the Holy Spirit, Nathaniel's heart has been prepared and is ready to believe.
Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Now do not imagine that Jesus is simply praising Nathanael's character. His words immediately recall Isaiah 53. Christ identifies Nathanael not according to who he is in the moment, but according to who he will be in Jesus. With these words, Jesus proclaims that Nathanael is one whose sins will be forgiven and taken away, and who is therefore a member of the renewed and elect Israel, chosen before the very foundation of the world to be in Christ, so that what is spoken about Christ by the prophet Isaiah, nor was deceit found in his mouth, so too by imputation can be said of Nathanael. It is as the psalmist sings, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. There is no deceit in his mouth. This is one of the great joys of the Gospel of John. It is truly a book that you can savor, chew on, and inwardly digest. For on the surface, the meaning is plain and true and salutary, but there is almost always a double and deeper meaning. Nathaniel is taken aback. He has never met the Lord before. Nathaniel said to him, How do you know me? And then Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Indeed, Jesus, by use of his divine knowledge, had perceived before Philip had went and gotten Nathanael that he was sitting under a fig tree. But the church fathers, and rightly so, noted that there is more here than meets the eye. For not only did Jesus perceive that Nathanael was physically seated under a fig tree, but also he perceived his spiritual condition. Remember after the fall into sin what Adam and Eve did immediately. They sewed for themselves a covering, clothes of fig leaves. Nathaniel not only sat under the fig tree, but under the dark umbrella of sin before the Holy Spirit had called him by the gospel through the words of Philip. Come and see. And now we see that the Holy Spirit had prepared Nathanael's heart to believe that he was ready to see Jesus from Nazareth or not. For Nathanael answers, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Nathanael's confession was right and better than he knew. The prophet Zephaniah, speaking about the coming of the Lord, says of the people redeemed by God, of the elect Israel, there shall not be found in their mouth a deceitful tongue. Hear that language introduced already by Jesus' greeting. Zephaniah goes on to say, The King of Israel, the Lord is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. Nathaniel, whether he fully realizes or not, and I suspect he does not fully realize it at this point, proclaims Jesus not just as the descendant of David to inherit his earthly throne, but the Lord God Almighty himself come to dwell among his people. And so Jesus has come. He has come to destroy evil and the fear of death, to chop down that fig tree of sin and replace it by the forgiving tree of his cross. 
So quick after his initial skepticism is Nathaniel to believe that Jesus almost seems a little taken aback. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And then Jesus said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Of course, what comes to mind first is Jacob's vision at Bethel. When the heavens are opened and something akin to a ladder appears, comes down, connecting heaven and earth. And upon that ladder, the angels go up and down. And at the top, there is the Lord. And it is tempting to read Jesus' statement and say, He is the ladder who connects heaven and earth. He creates the pathway for man to God. But note that is not exactly what Jesus says here. For who is he in Jacob's vision? He is not the ladder, he is the Lord at the top of the ladder. Who does Jesus say he is in this statement in John's Gospel? The Son of Man, according to Daniel's vision. The Son of Man is him who is seated at the everlasting throne next to the Father. That is, the Son of Man is the lowly carpenter from Nazareth, seated at the right hand of God in everlasting glory. The latter picture is too weak. It doesn't say enough. Jesus is not merely the connection between heaven and earth, but in his flesh, through the personal union of the divine, heavenly, eternal logos with the flesh born of Mary, he has united heaven and earth in his own person. The angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man are not the messengers between heaven and earth, but the ministering spirits around the throne of God. The vision promised by Jesus, the vision promised to Nathanael, is the beatific vision. It is the vision seen by the prophet Isaiah. Yes, this miracle will be far greater than the miracle of Jesus telling Nathanael that he saw him under a fig tree. The miracle here promised to Nathaniel is promised to all of us, and it is the miracle of forgiveness, of resurrection, and eternal life. Because Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world by his suffering and death, and because all who believe in him are given the right to be called sons of God, Nathaniel will be before the throne of God in eternity, before the throne of the Lamb to see with his own eyes the Son of Man in the eternal glory. And this promise is given to you as well. Indeed, the Holy Spirit has called you by the gospel, enlightened you with his gifts. Jesus has said unto you, follow me, and you will see heaven opened, and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. To you who believe, you will be before the throne of God and join with the heavenly hosts as they sing, joined with the six-winged seraphim, joined with the cherubim with sleepless eyes, veiling their face to the presence, as with ceaseless voice they cry, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Amen. May you rise for the offertory.